I love it. We are back for another episode of How the Greats Do It. Super excited. We have Lance Buholtz. He's a go-to-market executive, um, actually leading global sales for Blue Triangle. Lance, appreciate you being on with us today. I'm excited to be here, Taylor. Absolutely, man. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up where you are currently. Oh, yeah. it's a, it's, it's been a long road with a lot of interesting stories along <laughs> the way. So, sure. yeah. But- I've been at this for uh, a little over 25 years. We'll we'll cap it at 25 to not give the real age. There you go. Um, but uh, okay yeah, I've been, at, <laughs> I've been at it for a while and uh, started at this whole thing, you know, right out of college and uh, started to get into sales at that point in time. But even actually going back before um, I got into the actual sales business itself, I actually talked with my dad when I was going to college to say, I have no idea what I want to do. I just know that I need to go to college and get yeah. a degree. So what do I do? And he had his own business and he said, well, unless you're going to be like a doctor or an engineer or something that you're going to use absolutely everything that you learn in college on your day, day-to-day business afterwards, what you really need to learn to do is how to communicate with people. Ooh. So go to school, get a communication degree. And then you from go. that, you can apply to just about anything everywhere. And that kind of taught me the basics of how do you interact with people? How do you talk with people? And then it just kind of slowly gravitated towards sales. Had no idea I'd be doing what I'm doing today because 25 plus years ago, there weren't even cell phones. So, I mean, I had a pager. (laughs) That was the technology that I wore around with me. So you you have to kind of evolve as the times evolve. Yeah. And it's always interesting to understand how people fell into sales because I think there's a negative connotation with it. You know, you tell someone, hey, I'm a salesperson and you always get that cringe. It's like, ooh, sales, <laughs> you know. So how did you fall into that? And did someone maybe see the potential in you and, and somewhat led you there? Yeah, it was actually uh, it was, it was an interesting uh, little situation. I was living out in San Francisco okay. and I was working for a uh, robotics company and I was selling distribution distribution territories for the robots and uh, didn't really like what I was doing, but I used to go for runs and so forth. And he started to leave the house just about every day at the same time. And the guy who lived across the hall from me, he was going out. He was actually uh, the head of sales for a, um, a bunch of technology resellers, basically, at the time. And cool. we just started talking and hanging out. And he said, you know, I see you getting up at four o'clock in the morning to beat the commute, to go off, to go drive, you know, an hour to get to where you're going. You know, you can do sales jobs and technology in the Bay Area from your house. And then you go out and you go meet customers. And he kind of took me under uh, his wing just a little bit and gave me a couple of um, talking points to get my first job in technology. And then eventually we ended up working together. Um, And you're right. The whole idea of, oh, you're a salesperson. You're going to try to sell me something. So everybody's got their defenses up. What I gravitated towards more was alliances and partnering and channel sales. Mm -hmm. So that's where I did that for on and off for about 20 years. I did some direct sales in the middle of that as well. Yeah. And um, you're right. I I started to actually tell people what I talked to them is that, for example, in my current company, which is a blue triangle, that when we get a new uh, customer to come in, I send out a welcome email to them and say, thank you for partnering with us. So it's all about really investing in the partnership and making sure that they feel like there is a partnership. It's not, I'm taking your money, you're getting a goods and service because you run into the same people in the industry, especially in my industry, all over the place. Like 
you'll talk to somebody at one account and then two years later, they're the decision maker at another account. And you better hope that you had a good relationship with them the first time around if you want yeah. to do business with them again. So that's kind of how I gravitated that direction of an approach of treating everybody as a partner and it's a give, give to get kind of thing. So I'm not just asking for their money. I mean, if that's what it is, that's a, to me, that's more of a stereotypical used car salesman, so to speak. There you go. Yeah. The terminology there. Sorry mm -hmm. for any of those are used car salesmen. I know some, they're very good. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's very much of making sure that you have a relationship with people. Yeah. I think the time of transactional sales is gone. Um, yeah. And even as that car dealership salesperson, right? Like they're trying to figure out how do I build relationships with these people so that they're not just selling one car, they're selling two, three, four, but you're right, right? Like that negative connotation definitely comes from that industry um, because reality is we're all driving and we've all been through, I think it's the most relatable sales process that everyone's been through. You go and you view a car, you get um, put to the side, you know, they go back to the back. And so it, you know, now that we're on that topic, like, I think one thing that we're missing in the marketplace right now is really understanding the prospect experience. Um, and it's something that's almost an afterthought. It's more on our sides. We're, we're thinking about how do we align these people in the sales force and manage opportunities properly, but the customer experience or prospect experience is forgotten about, you know, how um, have you thought about that in your current role and, and maybe tried to make the experience better for them? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. You're right. I mean, it's one thing if you already have relationships in place, but how do you get them to start to get going for somebody earlier in the career? And right. one of the things that I was fortunate enough, I've worked at a bunch of very small startup companies. Some have gone somewhere, some have not. And yep. I used to say that I could, the I, life I could of wallpaper my, yeah, it's like I could wallpaper my wall with all the stock, stock certificates and they're less <laughs> uh, worth less than the wallpaper that I could put on there. Yeah. Um, but I've been fortunate enough to be part of a couple of them that have actually gone someplace and they've gone usually for an acquisition to a large company. And my advice would be for somebody getting into the sales industry. There's a lot of things that you can learn from a large company. You may not feel like you're a large company profile. You're more of a, um, oh, I don't know how you want to say it, but basically it, you don't like the structure and so forth. You mm -hmm. think of you're more of a maverick. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. And that's fine. But everybody needs to learn how other people have done in the past. So the best predictor of the future is the history. So if you can leverage somebody else's history on what they learned, and that could be in a large company, they might have a large marketing organization that uh, they have a lot of funds to be able to drum up leads. You can become an inside salesperson, learn from a script and things that are working. And then as you start to talk to people, you can vary a little bit from that script, start to make it your own a little bit more. And where you end up going with all this eventually is that you end up saying, you know, as an inside person did my script. All right. Somebody really wants to talk to me now. And yeah. you can pass them on to call it a field sales rep, for example. And then hopefully the organization will have it that you can now, um, kind of be a fly on the wall when you pass it on to the other folks that are doing this and build relationships long-term. So you can learn how do they do things? How do they talk to folks? How do they build relationships? Do they get in at the beginning of the call and just probably heard the phrase show up and throw up just saying, let me tell you everything that my company does, my product does yeah. without asking any questions. 
those people don't last very long usually. Absolutely. What usually we'll find is the good sales reps will actually ask a lot of questions and then they'll be quiet. So just kind of like what you did here, you asked me a question, I'm blabbling away here, but you'll, <laughs> you, you'll find out a lot about somebody by saying or asking intriguing questions and open-ended questions. And kind of going back to your original question is, how do you find the prospects? Well, by working at a larger company, getting some of these going, um, you'll start to get LinkedIn contacts. You'll start building up your contact database. Going back to my day, there actually was a Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, I, um, remember, I remember I had one. Yeah. Yeah, you can find them in museums everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, once you start to get some of those contacts, you'll find things with people that are in common. Like there's a, there's a gentleman that I'm working with today who's at a large global system integrator that we ended up building bonds um, at a previous company, but we weren't even all that close until COVID hit. And then we just started asking each other, like, you know, instead of doing a sales call or something like that, it's, so what are your days like now? How are the family? You know, do you get out? You know, is anybody sick? Unfortunately, do you know anybody that has uh, passed away from COVID? Things like that. And we built such a bond that we ended up finding out we have so many different things in common. And now we text each other probably every other day. And he's a very influential person. You know, I didn't get permission to use his name, so I won't. Yeah, he's yeah. a very influential person um, in the marketplace. And, you know, it all started just by us making it personal, finding out what drives them, what do they care about, and things like that. When you build those relationships, you know, especially, again, going back to the big company, and you get thrusted into um, – uh, those discussions with folks and they drum up the leads for you. You'll find a couple of people, hopefully a couple per year that you actually yeah. really click with. And from there, as your career evolves, those people will evolve and they'll go to a number of different places. You know, I'm not able to share the, the, the company names or the individual's name right now, yeah. but there is an individual that um, is, uh, I should say, if there's an individual and three customers basically that he's worked at, that we earned his business at this company, at Blue Triangle. He left once somewhere else, brought us there because not only did he like the technology, he liked working with us and yep. specific individuals. Then he left and went on to another company and we're talking to him about potentially doing business there as well. Without us having to do any lead generation or anything else, it's, we proved it once. He liked what we did. He likes us. He trusts us, which is a key thing. He yep. trusts us. So then we will end up running into them, hopefully in a number of different places. You know, you, you bring up a great point and, and it's, it's a super valid one, right? Like the people that you connect with day to day in and day out, right? Like they may pop up later in your career and um, the way that they view you at the very beginning um, and the relationship that you build through that process um, will then later either serve you or hurt you. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's always best to, to put the best light first and, um, and really try to build true relationships. I'd love to hear a little bit about, about how you have built, you know, some of those really strong relationships because, you know, you're right. Like people buy from who they like and who, um, who they want to do business with later on in the future. Like most of the time that, that life cycle continues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some of the relationships that I built, I mean, when I lived in the Bay Area in San Francisco, you know, there was so many customers and so many opportunities right there. You'd run into the yeah. people. I, I lived, you know, downtown in San Francisco. 
you just go out for a drink afterwards and you just run into people and start talking to them. And then they're at this company and that company. And that's before, you know, the dot-com bubble bursts. So everybody's bouncing all over the place. So right. I was fortunate enough to be around in the hotbed of this for my industry and build some relationships by just socializing, going out and meeting people. Um, but there's, there's a, a number of different ways to be able to do that. And a lot of it is kind of like I said about the guy who lived across the hall from me and we go jogging every now and again. Yeah. Is that you just find one or two key individuals. You know, like a, your parents may have said this to you. I know mine definitely did. Like if you can find five true friends, you're lucky. And, you know, they'll, they'll be there. They'll help you out. It's the same thing with business. It doesn't take this big, huge amount of people for you to get to know. It just takes Absolutely. a couple of key people that you build trust with. They have your back, uh, you have theirs. And from there you can network out, you know, quite a bit, you know, rough, wow, I'm just flashing back quite a bit here. The five degrees is Kevin Bacon. So it's uh, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. If you know five people, you know, everybody in the world kind of thing. Yep. So it really doesn't take too much to be able to get a good network out there. And we're, we're all judged by the questions that we asked. You know, so if you don't ask, but you're saying a lot of things, then people all of a sudden eventually start to tune out. They say, well, they don't really care about me. So if you ask insightful questions, you can build the relationships from there. Yeah, I love that. I always have that seek to understand mentality, but um, in the way to provide value and not to sell something. Exactly. Everybody can sniff out somebody who's, like you said, the connotation of a salesperson. Right. So if you truly are trying to ask questions of what is the business initiative that you're looking to achieve? And if it's, if I can't help you, maybe I know somebody that can all of a sudden yeah. the whole dialogue changes as soon as you say something like that. Yep. You know, it's, it sometimes what I found through this, this through the discovery process and, and this doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to just apply to the clients or um, to work, right? Like, it could apply to a relationship. Like it's one right question that gets you to the answer that you need to. Um, but it's all about asking the question. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. And open-ended questions, not the yes, no questions. Right, 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 right. Man, I'd love to hear if there's been any sort of setbacks that, um, you know, you maybe you've been hit with a setback in your career and, and, it, and you turn it into like a major learning moment, moment for yourself and maybe made yourself a better, a bit, maybe it made yourself a better, better leader. And because of it. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, there's definitely been some setbacks uh, throughout <laughs> the years, but uh, one thing that um, I used to play hockey and okay. I used to have uh, some hockey coaches. I used to go to places called Bob Johnson hockey school. He was an Olympic coach. He became an NHL coach and the coaches that were at the, uh, the summer training camps that they would have were Olympic coaches. And some of them played in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And what, one of the things that they always had as a mantra is if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Everybody's going to fall, get up, keep going, fall again. Every single time you're out there in practice, keep falling. Otherwise you're never going to get any better and always no, surround yourself that. with people that are better than you. Otherwise you're not going to know how to get better. If you're the, yep. and so my dad would always say, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm probably in the wrong room. <laughs> so learn from the people around you. So as far as uh, some examples that happened to me, it's uh, actually the, the robotics company that I was at that okay. was very, very mismanaged. And um, let's just say a lot of people lost a lot of money that were investors. 
and the company folded. So with me sitting there observing this, I had no control over it, but I actually observed some things that were going on. So it allowed me to basically identify what red flags could look like inside of a company. And um, unfortunately, I have noticed those flags in other companies that I've gone to since then. And uh, not the one I'm at now, um, but (laughs) I've noticed at other companies. And with that, I was able to get out before I invested too much time in it. There so you go. That's that's one particular thing. Um, yeah. Hmm? Yeah, I love that. You know, you've somewhat jumped to a, a few different industries um, through your time in sales. Like, I'd love to understand, has the approach changed um, as you somewhat have sold different products to different people? Sure. Yeah, the, the approach is, uh, it's definitely different yet there's a lot of similarities yeah Uh, again it comes back to communicating find out what does somebody actually want or need instead of trying to sell them something because you may or may not have something they want and the way i look at it is that there's two winners to every opportunity the one who actually gets the po and the one that realizes (laughs) that they're in the wrong room first and gets out and doesn't waste any time on that's still a win yeah i i 100 i love that you know so well, hit on both ends, you know, how do you realize that you're in the wrong room? Like, when do you walk <laughs> away from a deal? Sure. Well, a lot of it is, again, you ask the questions up front about what are they looking to do? And if they're one, for example, say, I'm, I, say you have a solution that um, a CIO or a C-level or a marketing person would care about. But uh, the first person that responded to some outreach was, say, a software developer. Well, software developers have very specific needs of what they're looking for. They have certain budgets and Mm -hmm. the people you may be trying to sell to have different budgets and different needs and different pockets they can pull from. So if you ask questions of a developer, for example, and um, they ask open-ended questions to say, well, what are you trying to achieve? They might say, I need to optimize my code. Well, my product doesn't do anything about optimizing the code. Right. I do know a bunch of software companies out there that do optimize code. So let me introduce you to somebody. And then once you do that, they're like, wow, okay, thank you. You saved me a lot of time from researching all these different things and you're not trying to sell me anything. So I trust you. What can I do for you is usually what they follow up with. And they say, well, I'd love to be able to talk to somebody that's more in line with what my, my solution does. And they usually will give you that. Maybe not a direct intro, but they'll say, here's who you should go talk to. I can't give you an introduction with an email, but, you know, look them up on LinkedIn or something like that. And at yep. least point you in the right direction as a reciprocation. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. You know, most people are connectors, right? And and if you help them, they they feel obligated in a sense to help you. And so, yeah. you know, you're, you're spot on there, right? Like every every meeting, even, even though it may not be your ideal prospect or persona, right? Like it could lead to um, another conversation and a conversation that, maybe a little bit more worth your while. Yeah. And again, you never know where that first person was, where they're going to be five years from now. They may be somewhere and they might remember you. Yeah. Because oddly enough, you know, common sense isn't that common. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you treat somebody with respect and don't try to sell them something, it makes an impression on people just as much as somebody makes a really bad impression on you. A hundred percent. You know, so I think there's, um, it's like when you travel another country and people say, man, that country is really dangerous. Why did you travel there? And I think, um, you know, when I, I always say that the, the, 
there's 95% of the people are great people and there's 5% that are looking to do harm or something bad. And I think it's a sim- very similar to what we see in sales, maybe a, maybe a little bit larger percentage that are of salespeople that are doing it the wrong way, but that give the negative connotation to salespeople in, in totality. And so I'd love to hear like how you coach your sales reps to make sure that they're doing the right things day in and day out and really leave that good taste in consumers' consumers' mouths. Um, especially right, like, you know, that one bad experience could really turn someone off. Yeah, exactly. There's a number of different approaches of things you can do. Um, I've used some tools like the company I'm at right now. We have a uh, recording and transcription solution that we have. So when people are having sales calls, we can um, rewatch them, obviously with yeah. people's permission to have it recorded and so forth. And then I, when I have time, I go back through as many of those as I can. And, you know, it's kind of funny listening to sales rep talk at, you know, 1.75 speed. And <laughs> you realize some, some people actually talk really fast to begin with. And then you can't hear them uh-huh. at all. They sound like Ellen and the chipmunks when you're, you know, having to go faster. But making little comments about what they're doing in there, asking questions. There's a uh, solution that we're using today. It's called Gong. Uh, there's a yep. number of them out there. But uh, Gong is one of them that uh, my current company, Blue Triangle, uses. And um, there is a very handy little telltale thing on there. It's the percentage of time each individual talked. And to me, it's just a general rule is you never want to have 51% of that conversation. If it's just you <laughs> and one other person, you're doing the wrong thing. Right. And if there's multiple people on there, you still don't want to be the one that asks or that uses the most percentage of the time. Again, it's about asking leading questions. And there's a, there's a lot of different methodologies out there. You know, there's a medic, medpick, things like that. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's something that uh, helped me out quite a bit a few uh, few company weeks ago. Is that I thought I had a champion, somebody that that's one of the SSC in the, the, the medpick, um, uh-huh. is that I thought I had a champion. And then you look at all the definitions of what exactly is a champion, and then you say, all right, let me test the person I think is a champion. Like, yeah. Of the five I thought were champions and different customers, only one of them was. Wow. And you, you need to look yourself right in the face, in the mirror, and to say, I'm not as good. Usually, you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> and then you have a litmus test to figure out, all right, what exactly should I be doing in order to make sure that I'm advancing things? And it comes back down to, in order to get a champion, for example, you have to have a personal relationship with them because one of the ways that you can test to see if you do have a champion versus a coach or somebody who's yeah. just an influencer, you send them a text message on the weekend. And if they Ooh. respond to you, then you might have a champion because they're giving you some of their personal time. And so that it's, it's a very simple way to be able to kind of test that one out a little bit. A coach probably won't. You might send them an email and they might respond to an email, but that's different than a personal text message about whatever dialogues you've had with them in the past. Don't make it business-wise. Make it a social text yeah. and see if they'll respond to you because then they can put you into that bucket. And if you're not in that bucket, that's fine. But know who you're dealing with. Yeah. And I love that, right? Like thinking outside the box to try to like test the network and see oh, really where you stand. Like how do you um, go about creating more champions within companies, right? Like I say you send a text message and you don't get one back. You know, how do you cultivate that, that champion in that company so that you build that relationship? So it's, you know, when, when they do 
um, have a need, right? They're coming to you. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you have to create the need, I guess, for a lack of a better way to phrase that. Yeah. Is that, again, going back to questions, if they're already a coach or an influencer, you're already having dialogues with them. Hopefully during those discuss discussions, you figured out some things that a, a good question would be is, what do you, what's driving your individual business? Are you evaluated on the things that you're talking about? Do you have KPIs or do you have bonuses tied to what we're discussing here? And oh, yeah. you know, if they are, if you help them get aligned to those things, mm -hmm. they're going to naturally want to give you more information. And if not, um, the stuff you're talking about, just open it up in general. Say, I know we're talking about X, Y, and Z, but what else are your bosses asking you to do today? Let me see, yeah. is there anything I can do? Or is there anybody I know that can help you achieve any of those things? Or, you know, what does a good day look like for you? What does a bad day look like for you? And again, you don't ask that on the first call, but you want to try to get to those types of discussions and build the rapport. And if they won't tell you those things and they're guarded, they've probably been burned by sales reps in the past or they know what you're doing. But again, you, you genuinely need to care. You don't just ask the questions for the sake of asking the questions because people see you right through that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you're spot on, right? And what I'm hearing is be authentic, right? Be different um, from the other people that came before you because re reality is, you know, this is not the first time they bought a technology or been sold to. And so, right, like, I think us as salespeople, we can read the room maybe a lot better than other people. And so, but... So can um, senior level executives, right? Like this isn't their first rodeo. And so authenticity, like no, being who you are and not putting a front on there. And then, right, like asking questions that that lead you to that um, to that place is is where it all starts. Absolutely. And, and something else that I've done is, you know, I guess, as far as being a manager before. And yeah. uh, I asked my team, what are your own personal and business career goals? So uh, once I get them to articulate what they want to do, or right now there's a, there's a guy who is on my team that when I first started managing him, I said, well, what, what is your career goals? He goes, I want to be a CEO. I'm like, awesome. I think that's absolutely mm -hmm. awesome that you want to do that. Yeah. So what do you think you need to do to be able to get there? Right. And he's like, well, I want to do this, this, and this. I'm like, you do need to do all those things. But it's also really good as a CEO, you're responsible for everything that happens in the company. So the more experience you have in different divisions of the company that you're at, the better it's going to help you make informed decisions down the road. And that helps them on their own career path here. And then obviously they want to know socially or not socially, uh, personally, what they want to be able to do, like with their family. Do they want to retire at a certain age or yeah. whatever? What are their financial things? Do they like cars? Do they like whatever? So if there's a lot of things they need to make a lot of money, well, you make different decisions if you are money-driven versus uh, quality of uh, life-driven, uh, those types of things. And getting them to start thinking about those questions about themselves allows them to start to realize, I'm talking to somebody at this level. I wonder if they're trying to climb the corporate ladder. Are they trying to move up? If so, what do they need to do to do those types of things? It gets their mindset a little bit more roundup. Nothing is handed to anybody. So try yeah. to find out what they're trying to achieve and then see if there's anything you can do to help them, even if it doesn't benefit you. Yeah, I know. I love that. Right. Like uh, so often, you know, 
people are expecting, especially when you're a new leader in a company or you're in a, you're, you're, you're in a building mode, right? Like you can't ask more from your team without knowing them and their why and why they're doing what they're doing or what's important to them. You know, when I've gotten the most out of my team, uh, it's like full transparency. They know who I am. They know my vulnerabilities. I know their vulnerabilities. I know what makes them tick. And that way, right, when I ask for 110, they know that they're going to give 110, right? Like it's, it's a mutual, it's a, it's a mutual agreement between us. And, um, you know, that, I think that's how you really build that, that culture of continuous improvement and making everybody better. It's funny that you mentioned continuous improvement. That's actually uh, the marketing guy at my company here as well. That's basically what we've put together. And this, what our solution does is continuous um, optimization. Yeah. So that's the same type of thing. It never ends. You're constantly evolving. If you're not evolving, especially in the software world, if you're not evolving as a company and as a product, within six months, you're pretty much going to be obsolete. 100%. I think we've seen that over and over. Companies, right, not optimizing their product, not um, staying on top of times. And right, and reality is in this tech space, if you're not optimizing and moving up um, or getting better, right, like you're getting, you are absolutely getting left behind. Um, yeah. Well, man, I'd love to hear some advice you maybe give to an aspiring leader, somebody that, you know, wants to reach the top, but, you know, maybe similar to the guy that says, hey, I want to be CEO, you know, but maybe the person says, hey, I want to be a senior director and I want to manage all these people. Like, what, what would you tell them? Uh, and like, what, what kind of advice would you share? So there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is a book. So okay. there's one of the best books that I've ever read that I actually took to heart and actually changed my behavior. It's called Extreme Ownership. You yep. ever heard of that one? I have, yep. yep. Well, written by a Navy SEAL and talked about things in the industry and applied it from like the military and so forth. And I think that is an incredibly big life lesson. And so basically for those who are listening, that anything that happens from people to report into you if they did something, it's still your fault because they report to you. You're supposed to give them guidance. You also yeah. want to give credit to them. Don't take the credit. So again, you never know if somebody's reporting to you today, either in the same company or in another company, you might be reporting to them. So if you start taking credit for work that they do, they're going to remember that. Yeah. And they will also remember that if they did something that wasn't right or caused an issue and you took responsibility for it as the leader of the team, they're going to remember that too. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a big thing that changed uh, my life lessons. And uh, <laughs> also, uh, did you ever see the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan? Yes. So there was one of them when they were going out to go find Private Ryan, and they are just hiking through the fields and they were talking. And um, all of a sudden, uh, Tom Hanks was, uh, or some of the people in the, the squadron, I guess it was, they were uh, griping. They're complaining about things. And then somebody asked Tom Hanks, said, how come I never hear you complain? This uh, gripes, they always go up. I'm the manager of all of you guys here. I'm the leader <laughs> of all you guys. You guys gripe to me. I never gripe to you. So that's another thing as a leader. If people know that they can come to you, talk to you about things, try to help solve their problems, but you shield them from all the stuff that is going on up above that helps them get their job done. It also builds a lot of trust. Absolutely. You know, um, I think that's spot on. 
you know, so often as leaders, right? Like we, we want to do everything we can for our team. And I guess that includes putting us in, in the line of sight in that sense, right? Take, taking all that burden and say, you know what, give me the rocks out of your bag. I'll put them on my shoulders um, yeah. and lighten that load. And at the end of the day, right? Like our jobs as, as leaders is to, is to remove a lot of the roadblocks that you know, that our team is facing to make sure that they're as successful as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And again, people remember those things. Yeah. Maybe not everybody, but nine out of 10 people will remember that. And again, that's again, how you can start to build relationships and one of the things that uh, I've had my team do here, and I've done this at other companies, uh, we use uh, LinkedIn Learning. I'm okay. sorry, not LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn Navigator, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, but okay, we okay. also use LinkedIn Nerving, but um, LinkedIn Navigator. And what we'll do is we'll actually have a sales call and say, all right, sales rep A, the entire sales team is going to get on, and you're going to have five accounts that you want to get into, and we're all going to open LinkedIn Navigator. We're going to find out how do we, does anybody, in the company have a first connection to that company Ooh, and then try I to like get them probably out of the five accounts in three of the accounts, we'll be able to map our way into somebody who's over there that somebody has a relationship with in the company. I and like that is that. a great way to get in. You get an introduction from somebody that knows mm -hmm. them or maybe used to work with them. And uh, then from there, it makes the discussion a lot easier because you're not the sales guy coming in to try to sell them something. It's yeah. somebody who they respect and trust, hopefully, <laughs> uh, is making an introduction. And then it's a much different conversation at that point. Yeah, I love that. Changing changing the um, the theme and right, like how you reach out to people, that's 100% of the time. And, you know, building that really strong network so that you can have that referral source. Um, into a company is, is is so meaningful and sometimes forgotten about, right? Like a lot of times we're only thinking about, I can remember times in my career where I was only thinking about the now and the then and selling um, or getting getting in front of this one person, right? But I didn't necessarily utilize my network in a way to say like, all right, what's a roundabout way that I can get to this person? And so I love yeah. that. Yeah, it, Absolutely. It, do you have any tips? Um, I'd love to hear maybe some tips for like what you do to manage and motivate uh, the team, especially in times right now, like we're in a down market and a lot of teams are struggling. Yeah, it, it's difficult. And, you know, again, from being in the industry for 25 plus years, I've seen a couple of ebbs and flows, so to speak, yeah. in the market. <laughs> and um, as corny as it sounds, relationships kind of help you get through all of it. It doesn't necessarily help you sell something today, but don't do anything that you'll regret tomorrow by doing something desperate and so forth. Uh, the best thing to do is to be able to continue to work with these people. They're probably going through struggles just like you are because yeah. of the economy. So you're all kind of in the same boat. And then you just try to figure out, hopefully you're representing a, a company or a product that is not just something that you're selling it just for the sake of selling it. It's something that's going to better the company that you're selling it to. And Absolutely. then there's a, a business reason for them to want to get it. So that makes that discussion a little bit easier. But as far as motivating, and again, it depends on your current company's situation. Sometimes there's um, contests that you can have, you know, who can do X, Y, or Z, something like that. Uh, somebody can come up with something innovative or a new technique, things like that. You can have a little little prizes. I mean, it doesn't take much, especially sales. Everybody's competitive, right? Yeah. So if uh, you just say, really should be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if they're not, you probably got the wrong person on your team. Absolutely. Um, 
But uh, I mean, just, just little things like even as generic as, you know, here's a $20 gift card to a, you know, a food chain restaurant or something like that, that yep. you can either expense it from your company or for me, lots of times I just take it out of my own pocket because it's $20. It costs me more than that to buy them a beer when I'm out someplace these days. Right, so, right. Um, it's easier to do that. And then you say, ha ha, I won that kind of thing. So they <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. And as long as you keep it friendly and because, um, you know, you want to make sure that everybody, nobody feels like they're being attacked because they're not winning. Um, so there's that aspect to it. But the other portion of it is something that uh, I've been doing recently with my team is that I turned my uh, all hands uh, sales call yeah. in, instead of going through the pipeline, which, you know, one rep is talking, everybody else is multitasking, doing whatever, mm -hmm. while the one person is going through their accounts. Uh, we turned it around and I just asked the team if they prefer that we use this time differently because I also have my one-on-ones with them. Yep. And I said, I'll go through, well, I go through the individual accounts on my one-on-ones with you guys and not in the group setting. You can see everybody just go visually. You can see them say thank you, but nobody actually yeah. said it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then say, what do you think would be the best use of time? And kind of put it out for the team. And what they're saying is, I'd love to hear individual little successes. We all hear about like when a, a PO comes in, that's a success by the company yeah. standards. But there's a lot of little things that each of us do based on conversations with people that this situation came up, but they asked me about this and this is how I solved it. And this is how I worked around it. Or here's a question that I posed that got me over to this location. And then by the end of the call, like everybody's all jazzed up. Yeah. So that part, that is a much different thing than, we're going through your, why didn't this deal close yet? Why did this one push an extra week? You know, that's more of what are mm -hmm. the negatives of the things? Because it's very rare that you got things exactly right on each of the uh, forecasts that you have. This is more of what are the good lessons learned? And at the same time, I've always, um, me personally, I learn more from a, a quote failure than a success. He's like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And trying to get the teams to go back in and say, okay, we didn't win this account. Luckily at Blue Triangle, we were winning most of the accounts because we're using their data as we're talking to them. So right. they either believe the data and if they do, then they buy it. So that's great. Again, a true yeah. partnership. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of other companies, it was more of, all right, let's have a postmortem. Why did we lose this? Why did they select a competitor or did they just select nobody because they didn't have any budget or whatever the case was? And if you talk to them, if you built this relationship during the sales process, of a relationship, not necessarily just trying to sell something. It's very easy to go back to him and say, I'd like to learn how to do things better. I want to find out, did I do something wrong? Yeah. Did the product not meet your needs? Can you help me understand exactly why you chose somebody else? Sometimes it could be that you, know, you were brought in as um, the phrase, um, column B fodder. They already knew who they were going to go after anyhow. And they brought Please. you in because they need to get three bits. Yep. So you can sniff that out a lot. Like when you're having uh, RFIs um, yeah. or RFPs that are coming out, mm -hmm. if you know exactly what your competitors do and you look at it and it says a lot of things your competitors do, just be point blank with them and say, do you just need a generic bid in there? Because I don't want to waste my time on this. I can help you out achieve your goals if you're just because you already selected a winner, but you're just putting that to bids. Right. You, know, you could do that and it saves everybody a lot of time, especially you. If you have to go in and do a proof of concept and you spend a couple of weeks or months or whatever it is. Again, absolutely. Getting, uh, you're also a winner if you realize you only had to spend one phone call with a person instead of three months before <laughs> you lost the deal. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you and then you have your leadership team to answer to and say, why didn't you win? Why didn't y'all win this deal? And there wasn't a deal that you were going to win in the first place. Exactly. And then their question is, why did you waste time and resources from the company? Because it was a cost on the company to try Absolutely. to pursue. It. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll I, I want to actually revisit something you had mentioned. Um, you know, you talked about coming to this the team meeting in a little bit different way and not reviewing the pipeline. And, you know, I think there's so many uh, being a salesperson is hard enough, right? Like we're faced with rejection and no so often. And I love that you thought about the team meeting in a little bit different way. To, and it almost gave the team a little bit little wins, right? Like for them to share these little wins that they were able to receive, because there's a lot of little wins that happen through the sales process, whether it's, you know, you got an email back. That's a win, right? You you got your first meeting. That's a win, right? You were able to have a successful discovery and maybe demo the product, right? Those are all wins. And for us to celebrate those little wins rather than, hey, why did this get pushed back? And and the negatives that go along with the deal, that probably has done a lot for team morale. And, you know, um, definitely kudos to you on, on changing the way and the mentality uh, of the salespeople. Well, thank you. I'd love to take credit, but it was actually my team's credit. I just said, what would be a better use of time? And they said this. So we yeah. just jumped right into it and it's worked. It's worked great. So, I mean, it's still early stages, but you could see the change instantly on that phone call where it wasn't just one person talking and everybody else just kind of falling asleep or multitasking. It was everybody was engaged. Everybody was talking over the top of the other person because they got excited. So yeah. That's what you want to have on a team call to get people's creativity going, to get their creative juices going. Absolutely. And, you know, well, you know, you may not be able to take credit for it, but at the end of the day, right, you as a leader. And I think that sometimes we miss these um, small cues that our team gives us. Right. It's us being emotionally um, allowing ourselves to listen. Right. And and again, that seek to understand and say, like, hey, team. I'm here to help you in your success. What's going to make, what's going to, what's going to, ha- what am I going to have to do to help that, help that happen? Right. I'm a facilitator. That That's yeah. all I am in this sense. Right. And the facilitation of, of what I'm here to do is to make you as successful as possible. Um, and so I that's think you doing just that is like you being open to ideas yourself, right? Like how can I be a better leader and us asking other people that in our team that like sometimes you, you somewhat time land, land on gold at least. Yeah. And it kind of the way you phrased that was great as a facilitator to get the dialogue going. Because again, you know, that whole phrase, you know, two heads are better than one, however you want to phrase it. Yep. And going back to what my dad said, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room, you know, yeah. those types of situations where I tell my team, my goal is to help you be each of you be as successful as possible, that all of you make more money than I do. So I don't see anybody on my team as a threat. I've yeah. actually promoted a number of people that throughout other companies got them into the uh, the career path that they were looking for. And some of them gone on to be wildly successful. And I'd like to think that I had a little, you know, first step <laughs> help on there to go after what they, what they went for, but the yeah. rest of it was, was all on them. And again, it wasn't seeing somebody as a threat. We all can learn from each other. And if we're not learning from somebody, then maybe you're not surrounding yourself with the right people. Mm, wise words there man i um i think a lot of people are going to get a, a lot of this conversation that we've had thus far i've got one last question for you though sure when you when you leave this um this this life like how do you want people to remember you 
Oh, the deep thought question. <laughs> uh, I got to hit you with one at the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I'd say the way that I want to be able to be remembered is that I built true relationships where people um, trusted me. And yeah. going back to that whole thing is if you have five really true friends throughout your life, then that's successful. I like to think that I've been able to do that. I can list, maybe it's one side or on my side, but I think I can list probably about a dozen because of my approach to working with people over time. And again, you had made a comment about listening. Well, listening is an art form. And there's a difference between listening and active listening. Active listening is you're engaged in what's going on. And yeah. you're picking up cues. You know, think about it, um, the little sidebar on this is that uh, my wife and I actually started a, a nonprofit and it's called bearspaws.org. And it is um, to help people in North Carolina, which is where I live, that have a, um, a need to pay for medical expenses for quality of life for dogs. And yeah. the reason we got into all this was we had a dog that got sick and we were fortunate enough to have the funds to be able to take care of her. But it goes all the way back to the listening sides of things is that I took time out of technology for a while. Because anybody who's in software sales or enterprise sales, you know, it's a six, nine, 18 month sales cycle. Yeah. And I wanted some immediate gratification every now and again. So <laughs> I took time off and went to school to get a degree in animal behavior. You know, think of like Caesar Milan for dog whispering, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. you know, so I went and did that because I wanted to be able to start something and finish it and see the progress. I mean, within an hour, they, some people, Go mow their yard because they can see the tracks in the yard at the end of it. Ha ha. I completed it that is. tap. There's my fulfillment. <laughs> right. But as far as active listening, a lot of that is nonverbal. And the whole experience that I got by doing this, uh, getting the certification with dogs is that they're not talking to you, but they're communicating constantly with you. And you have so. to learn to watch the verbal cues, the way they breathe, the way they look at you their posture next to other things. Do they like it? Do they not like it? And um, uh, my wife and I, we don't have any kids, but we have dogs. So um, one of the things that I was talking with my sister who does have kids and I was telling her about all this stuff as I was learning uh, the classes and uh, going through all this with dogs that she goes, you know, that's actually a really good lesson having to do with kids as well. She was a, um, uh, a first grade teacher. That was her degree. Okay. It was a teacher working with kids. He goes, sometimes they don't know how to express themselves. So you have to learn to listen to them in other ways. And I think that goes very true for anybody at any stage in life is that if you're actively paying attention to somebody, then you're going to pick up a lot more than what their words are actually saying. And hmm. I picked up a little bit of that when I did that communication major in college. My favorite class was a nonverbal communication class. And yep. with that, it was, you know, are people mirroring you? You know, are they, if mm -hmm. I fold my arms, is the person I'm talking to folding their arms? Are they leaning forward? Are they leaning backward? Are they shifting left when you shift left? Uh, things like that. And you can see, are they actively engaged? And if they're not, it's not to manipulate them. It's to recognize that they're not engaged. So you're missing the mark on what you're talking to them about. And going all the way back to making my mark on this life is yeah. that I, because we don't have any children to pass on, you know, leaving those types of things. Yeah. I like to say that I've helped other people reach their goals and fulfill the things that 
they've shared with me that they wanted to achieve. I love that. Right. I think, I think that's probably part of the definition of a true leader um, is just, you know, obviously helping people reach their goals and being, being them better self, being their better self. So Lance, this has been a pleasure. You know, uh, I think a lot of, like I said, I think a lot of people are going to get a great, great deal out of this. And, you know, this is another episode of how the grades do it. I appreciate it. And one thing, if uh, you don't mind me saying, it's like at the company yeah. we're at here. So uh, we're talking about communicating and so forth. Yeah. Uh-huh. So one of the things that we are just starting our own podcast as well, that is called the uh, the frictionless experience. Okay. So again, not, not sales, not tension, things like that. It's talking about in the industry in general, what makes it a frequent frictionless experience to do your job or somebody goes to a website, what makes it frictionless? Why do people leave? But again, it does come down to communication, but it's communication with technology. What is causing the friction that people don't want to interact with it anymore? Because Love these days, you know, a lot of people can just, uh, you know, sign off, not do anything and you can ghost somebody and, you know, it's very easy to disengage. And the only way to keep them engaged is once you actually get them engaged, make it frictionless. So that's Absolutely. kind of what we're talking about. We're not trying to sell anything on those podcasts. Yeah. Um, it's just more of what are people doing to let other people have a good experience? Yeah, I love that. Everyone look out look out for that. I mean, it sounds like that's going to be a, a big hit. Lance, we appreciate you and um, much love. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate the time. Yeah. All right.